0: So, I just want to take a quick minute say thank you again to Pat for jumping in kind of last minute last week. Didn't skip a beat, did he? He did a great job. Uh, So this morning we're back in Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus as Pat pointed out last week for quite a while. Um, This is one of my favorite books in the Bible. We're going to be in Exodus three and four this morning. And as we kind of pointed out, we're, we're doing what we're calling like a survey of the book. So we're not gonna go verse by verse, section by section. We're gonna kind of take a large overview of certain passages and really dig into them to see what God's speaking to us at that point. Last week, Lauren posted something uh, and it was directly related to, to Susan and her birthday last week. And it reminded me of this story of of uh, of a, a drowning man. And this drowning man He's, uh, there's a big flood and he's on this rooftop of his house and he's praying to God for him to save this man. So he's praying at the, at the top of this roof, he's praying, God save me, God save me, God save me. So this man comes by in a rowboat and he says, dude, jump in, I'll take you to safety. And the man looks down at him, he's like, no, 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 I'm praying to God to save me. So this rowboat goes, okay, man. He continues on. Next thing you know, this motorboat drives by. And he's like, man, jump in. I'll save you. I got you. I'll take care of you. He's like, no, no, no. I'm praying to God. He's going to rescue me. So the rowboat and the, and the motorboat went on. And then finally, a helicopter comes by. And he says, grab the, the ladder that I'm dropping. Climb on up here and I'll take you to safety. I'm sure you know what happened next. The guy's like, no, 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 helicopter. I'm praying to God. God is going to save me. So the man, finally, under as he's waiting and waiting, the, the the water level rises and rises and rises, and next thing you know, he's under the water level. He's gone. He approaches God. He's like, God, what happened? I kept praying and praying and praying for you to save me, and I'm here. He's like, I'm going to call him Joe for some reason. Joe, I sent you a motorboat. I sent you a rowboat. I sent you a helicopter. What else more do I need to do? It's a kind of an interesting story. It's kind of silly. It's kind of uh, weird and, and ironic in a way, but it's a good reminder for us, I really think, because sometimes God's doing things in our lives and we don't even see it happening And he's given us these resources and tools and all these things. And next thing you know, we're just completely ignoring these signs and these things that God's putting in our lives to help us to be where we need to be. And it's unfortunate that even looking at that story and comparing it to Moses and his story, we kind of see a little bit of the same. And we'll explore that all throughout. And we can learn from this drowning man and his failures But we can also learn from Moses and his failures as well. And, of course, we're not going to focus only on his failures, but we're going to focus and see all throughout this book some of his victories as well. But we're going to be able to learn from him just like this drowning man in the face of God finally realized, yeah, you were helping me all along, and I just wasn't seeing it. So I want to start this, this, um, this section this morning by looking at these opening verses in chapter 3 uh, as we look at Exodus chapter 3. These first few voices, uh, verses says this, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush." And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burnt?" And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him outside the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off of your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. What a wild scene. What an absolute wild scene. And let's face it, at first, Moses' response was pretty good. God got his attention, Moses put his attention on God, and he responded. So overall, okay, he's off to a good start, I think. And Moses, if you think about it, was just working this field. And he's been working with his father Jethro, his father-in-law Jethro, for many years, 40 years in fact, at this point. And he's standing in this field and he's working this ground and this bush just on fire. This is probably a bush that he's seen a hundred times. He probably sees this bush every day. He's probably on that same land every single day. He's probably doing the same work he does every single day, probably singing the same song he sings every single day. But this bush, of course, was different this time. It was consumed with fire, but it wasn't burning away. And it wasn't until God got his full attention is when he spoke to to Moses. And Moses was able to have this response and this opportunity to listen. And when when God told him what he who he was, that is when Moses fell and he hid his face because he knew he was in the presence of the Lord. And actually the text that says there that he was afraid. So Moses started off pretty darn good, I would say. But in the, the lesson I think is probably pretty obvious for us. When we're in the presence of God, which Realistically, as always, because he's everywhere. So when we're in the presence of God, we are to be in awe of Him. We are to be in a state of awe and worship and thanksgiving. So that means in our every single day, our everyday lives, our responsibility is to be in that state of worship, in that state of awe, for that Creator God. And if you've been following our Bible reading plan this year so far, that's what we've been working on and reading throughout that first week, is this creator God, and we can be in all of that God. So this, uh, with this in mind, here's our main idea that I want to talk about and talk through this morning, and it should be somewhat familiar. I think we've said it before a hundred times in this room, but God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And I'm not going to take credit for that because I've heard it from many of you in this very room today. And I've heard it even outside of this room and outside of the the individuals in this church. So I won't take credit for it, but I can't help but say that's the perfect description of what we see in Moses in this example. Last week, we learned that he was a murderer. Moses was a murderer and he fled to Midian. And if you're familiar with the scriptures, Midian was not exactly a friend of Israel. So he flew, he fled to this area, and according to the scriptures, he he killed the Egyptian, he was 40 years old. And according to the scriptures, he he fled to Midian, he was in Midian for 40 years. So there's an 80-year-old man, a shepherd, 80-year-old man, murdered, a murderer and a shepherd. So you think about that statement we just talked about where he doesn't qualify the called calls the qual or he doesn't call the qualified he quali- qualifies the called that's a statement that's true just with that knowledge itself Imagine you being an 80-year-old shepherd being called by God to lead his people out of Egypt I don't know if I can do that as a 40-year-old man right So so that that I think is true even there so who in their right mind if you think about it would call eighty year old shepherd to do this work, and that's what we see with moses the that's one of the things that we see about the lord though the lord's his work and his ways are so mysterious and they're so beautiful at the same time and it and it, and it the bush itself wasn't special if you think about it, Moses definitely wasn't special, but it's what God did with this bush it's what God will do. And Moses, and and, and he, Moses was chosen for a purpose, like we just talked about with the kids, and because of that purpose, God was going to do what He needed to do, despite Moses's weakness and his brokenness that we've already seen with him. But of course, that means we know that Moses didn't respond in the way that he probably should have, and we're going to learn from that, and that's what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes, is how not to respond to a calling from God. That's what I want to talk through because I think we have some great examples for Moses and we can use those as an opportunity for us to really understand how should we respond when we're called. So let's talk through this here. And what we'll see in this entire section is from verse 11 of chapter 3 all the way through verse 17 of chapter 4 is this dialogue and exchange between God and Moses. Moses. And it's this full-on dialogue, and it's filled, unfortunately, with excuse after excuse after excuse from Moses of why he's not the guy to do this job and to do this work. And what he's trying to do effectively is he's basically trying to say, God, I'm going to talk you out of this because I think you're wrong. That's really, in essence, what we see here. So let's see what he says, really, beginning in verse 11. First thing he says here in his first Complain and excuse to God is, who am I? Moses tells God, who am I? And I think on one hand, I can fully understand that that comment. I can fully understand that question, and it's not unreasonable. And and many, many of the studies I did this week, there's two schools of thought. One, he was being super humble. Or two, he was basically saying, I'm not, I'm not worthy of this. I'm, I'm not qualified for this, and we really don't know exactly what was his mindset. We might have some hints along the way, and I think it really could be either or both. But if you think about it, he was effectively run out of Egypt because of, of what he had done. He was run out of Egypt because he was getting hunted down by Pharaoh. So he wasn't a man that was essentially qualified, and he was also now living and working for his father-in-law. So he was somewhat inadequate and unqualified on the surface. But on the other hand, what he's really doing, he's telling God, God, are you sure you have the right Moses? And the town over there is another Moses. It might be him, right? So in essence, he's like, are you sure you have the right guy? And that's really what he's saying here. So verse 11, verses 11 and 12 give us a, a, an idea of what this exchange looks like. Verse 11, Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And God said, but I will be with you. And, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. What a beautiful response. Do so you see it? That God says, I will be with you. Who am I, God? It doesn't matter. I will be with you. In other words, it doesn't matter who you are, Moses. It doesn't matter what you've done, Moses. I will be with you. That should be sufficient. Think about those commercials or those movies we've seen. Hey, tell them Frankie sent you. He'll hook you up. Right? Frankie's got all the pool. He's he's, He's the guy. He's the guy everybody wants to know. That's God. God's like, hey, don't worry. I will be with you. Doesn't matter what your past is. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what you're thinking. I will be with you, God says. And that's comforting. And in other words, he's basically saying, it's not about you, Moses. It's about me. I will be with you. And his next response is pretty interesting because now he's like, okay, fine. We've identified who I am. So the next response is interesting. He says, who are you? Who are you to God? So Moses goes to God with this this hypothetical situation from verse 13. He says, what?" they ask me what is this person what, what is his name what should, we, what should I say to him what should I say to them when they ask me who you are and that's an interesting question verse 14 this is what God tells him he says God tells Ted to Moses I am who I am Ooh. I am who I am and he said say this to the people of Israel I am has sent you what a powerful name that is that is one of the most powerful statements that god can make in respects to his name this is this is the name of all names this is the 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 ultimate statement of self-sufficiency this is the ultimate statement of self-existence and immediate and eminent eminent presence when he says this he's essentially saying that he's always there no matter what, no matter when or where, he is there. He's, he's saying so when we see later on in, in the Gospel of John, when Jesus himself uses that same exact designation, we see immediately that connection that he and the Father are one. And that's why when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father through, except through me, that's what he's saying. He's like, I am the Father are one, and that's why that designation from Jesus was so important, particularly to his audience at the time. And then in verse 15, he identifies himself as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And this is really, if you think about it, it's a callback to those, that covenant with Abraham that we talked about briefly last week it's a call back to that covenant of of abraham and it's a reference to the the fulfillment of of god taking them and bringing them into the promised land and he's using moses for this purpose and if you really think about it okay you know what i hear god say i am who i am that should be enough i'm sold i'm good I'm going to move forward, but unfortunately, as we see in this story, Moses is like, no, I'm not, I'm not quite there yet. So then Moses asked this question, what if they don't listen? What if they don't listen? And this actually takes us right into chapter 4, if you're following along. This wording and this progression, if you really look at it closely, it, it's, it's an implication of disbelief. Moses isn't questioning God because he's trying to get information. He's he's questioning God because of his disbelief. He's not seeking answers. It's a disbelief. And here's how Moses framed that question in verse 1. He says, Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Okay, God, you want to send me, but... They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to listen to me. And if you think about why a minute ago I said this is considered disbelief, back in verse 18 of chapter 3, God said, they will listen to you. So we already know they're going to listen because God already told them he would. So Moses, but Moses knew his people. He is his people. He knew his people. He knew they were stubborn. He knew that they 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 might You know, they're not going to listen to him because of who he was. He understood that. And maybe he was like, you know what, God, I'm going to do you a favor and save you some time and energy. They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to listen to me. Don't waste, I'm not going to waste your time. I'm going to do you a favor here. So once again, God responded, did he? He responds this time now through signs. Signs. And these signs are really, really wacky. The first sign, as we all know, is turning that rod into a snake. Now, being in the desert, we're familiar with snakes. Most of us don't like snakes. So, that sign in itself probably should have been enough, but no, he needed more. He said, Okay, if that sign doesn't work, I have more for you. That second one was turning his hand leprous by putting it in the cloak. Right? And then the third one, of course, was turning the blood or the water into blood. So these three signs so that people will know, okay, God is the one who sent you. If they don't listen to your voice, they should listen to these signs. But God had to provide these three signs because he knew. And again, I don't know how that first sign wouldn't have been enough. Here's a stick, throw it on the ground, it becomes a snake. I got to grab it by the tail. Once again, no thank you. And all of a sudden, it's a stick again. It's incredible. So I don't know how that wouldn't have been enough, but there you have it. God had to give him two more just in case. And if you think about these uh, these three signs, the first two are transformative. Turning something good and useful, a tool, into something that's kind of perceived as bad or evil in a way. And I think that's an interesting uh thing to take a look at and this third sign is is from turning the water into blood is is kind of a judgmental so i think that kind of gives us a hint of not only of moses's doubt as we see here but it also gives us a hint of what we're going to probably see from israel along this journey and along this wilderness journey but of course moses still had problems with this moses still had issue moses still wasn't quite sold In verse 10, he says to the Lord, but I don't speak well. I don't speak well. Comedian Jerry Seinfeld, who's Jewish, so I think this is still applicable, he says it this way, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, but Jerry Seinfeld said it this way. He's like, studies show that Americans' number one fear is public speaking. The second is death. So he follows that up with, that means that more people would rather be in the casket than doing the eulogy. And that's kind of an interesting point of view. Moses seemingly was not a good speaker. He had maybe a speech impediment. He had some sort of issue with the way he spoke where he felt, once again, thinking about it. He's like, okay, God, let let me just... Let me put this in perspective. I'm not a good speaker, yet you want me to be the spokesperson to the king of Egypt who has enslaved our people for all these years. So he's essentially, in 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 his response to God, he's like, God, and he was real snarky in his response if you look at it. He's like, God, since you and I have been talking, nothing's changed with my, my speech. It's the same as it is since you and I have been talking. Why do you, how do you think I'm going to be a good speaker and spokesperson on your behalf and on the behalf of your people to make this happen? There's just no way it's possible. And, of course, God's response was great. Verses 11 and 12, we see his response. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth who has made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? It is is it not I the Lord? Now therefore go. I will be your mouth and I will teach you what you shall speak. God's like, "Dude, stop. I made your mouth. I made your tongue. I can cause you to be blind, deaf, or mute. Go." I will tell you what to say i will give you the words to speak if you think about what god's already done so far with moses it's pretty remarkable he says don't worry i will be with you he said don't worry i will vouch for you because i am who i am don't worry because i will give you signs and wonders don't worry cuz i'll give you the voice and the words that you need to speak How many times do we just fall into this pattern of making excuses for not doing what God is calling us to do? Of course, Moses, he's on board now, right? He's got to be on board at this point. There's no other excuse possibly that he can make, right? Unfortunately not. Verse 13, I think, tells us kind of where his heart is. Verse 13 tells us where he was all along. It says that that basically he's like, I can't, please send someone else. He tells God, I can't, I can't do it. You got to send someone else. I'm not your guy. And faithfully, God does this though. He does give him someone else. He gives him a partner with, with Aaron. And at first glance, if you look at this, you're like, man, why did God give in? Why did God give in? He gave him Aaron. He gave him these signs and wonders. Why did he give in? But what he's doing, he's given Moses a, a, a ministry partner. He's giving Moses somebody that can be alongside him to do this work. And he's saying, look, no more excuses, Moses. I'm giving you all of these resources, including your brother Aaron and your ministry partner. And he's like, I'm done with your excuses However, yes, you can still have your brother Aaron, but you're still my guy. You're still my guy. You can have Aaron, but he's still my guy. And this, I didn't mention this a little bit earlier. I wanted to get through this this exchange between Moses and God first, but this is actually a very personal passage to me. And if you you might remember, I shared some of this a couple of years ago. Um, but back in May of 2017, Pat and I were back there burning bacon, making breakfast for the guys for a Saturday morning breakfast. And we weren't burning bacon. I wasn't, uh, I've learned my lesson. But we're back there making breakfast one day, and, and he asked me, Ryan, have you ever looked and considered a job change? Have you ever considered full time ministry? And what's kind of funny is, is I always had, as a matter of fact, and you might remember this from my, my ordination service back in December of 2020, I always had that thought in my mind. I always wanted to be in full-time ministry. But there's always that understanding of want versus call and want versus, you know, what's really meant for your life. I started taking Bible classes at a Bible college when I was 17, 18 years old. I was teaching the high school group at 17 years old. I had graduated a couple months early. I was going to pastor's conferences with my pastor at the time. I was organizing his his tape collection in his in his back garage storage area. I was doing side jobs for him at the church. I just wanted to be involved as much as I could. I loved church. I loved that whole atmosphere. And I always wanted to be a full-time pastor I've always wanted to be in, involved in full-time ministry in some capacity or another and sometimes but as I as I grew in my life and my career I ended up spending nearly 20 years in hospitality which is the furthest place from the church you can probably be and I didn't know if that was still a reality until I came here and I got a little bit of a nudge from Pat and others and that's what kind of helped me to see that. And really, growing up in my entire adult life, I always had this feeling, and I always kind of felt like Moses in a way. No, I didn't kill anybody, and I'm not an 80-year-old shepherd. But I always had this, like, I kind of feel like Moses a little bit. You know, I always had that thing in my head. It's like, you know what? I'm not good enough. You know what? I I don't, I'm not smart enough. I'm not I'm not there. I have a weird voice. Did you ever hear yourself on a recording? Like, I have a weird voice, God. There's no way you want me to speak for you, right? All these excuses. I'm not good-looking enough, right? But if I, as I look around this room, I'm convinced I'm at least top thirty good-looking in this room. At least top thirty. At least. All right. <laughs> if we do the math, you see what I'm doing. Uh, it's just, I'm not, I'm not good enough. There's no way. There's no way, God, you want me to be that person. And even though I've been public speaking since 1994, I have proof. It was an essay contest when I was in uh, junior high. Even though I've been speaking in public since 1994, I have to admit, I still never had that confidence to do so. So I'm like, okay, I just don't feel good enough. So it was funny, so probably a, a handful of days later after I met with Pat, I'm like, i got to go home and think about this. This is a huge, huge decision to make. I went home, I prayed about it, and in my daily reading, guess what v- chapters I came across? These two. These were the two chapters I came across in my reading And I'm reading through it and I'm going through and I pick up my Bible and I wobble down the hallway and I show my wife. I'm like, babe, I think God's calling me to do something here. (laughs) I think this is it because I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this and God's like, hey, I will be your voice. I will teach you how to speak. And that's when I knew I'm like, "Okay, now what? (laughs) Now What? So that's, this is a very personal passage to me because it confirmed that this wasn't just something I desired. This was something that God's been pushing me to do all along. And I just did not know. And I was sold because I knew looking at this passage and understanding me as an individual and all my faults, I knew, you know what? I am not good enough. I am not qualified. I am not smart enough. But with god all things are possible what god will make it happen and that's what we're seeing here because regardless of your situation regardless of where you are in your life if god's calling you to do something god will cause it to happen god will allow it to happen and give you the tools the resources the abilities to do so regardless of what we feel we're capable of doing And in the end, once again, like we said earlier, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God and his work. It's about what he desires for us. So the question is, what is God going to do with you? How is God going to use you? And are you going to be like Moses and attempt to go toe-to-toe with God which we all know what's going to happen when you do that, or will you just submit to his will for you? Will you just submit to his will for you? It's widely known all throughout the scriptures that each of us are called for something. Each of us are gifted with something. So it's a matter of what that is, and it's a matter, and then God's going to give us a skill, an ability, uh, an understanding of something that's going to help us to be the feet in the hands of Jesus. So it doesn't matter if you've had a bad past. It doesn't matter if you've had and committed a terrible sin. It doesn't matter to God because if God says he's going to use you for his purpose, guess what? He's going to use you for his purpose because God said. One of my favorite statements in Genesis chapter 1 is each time that the scriptures say that God said it happened that's one of my favorite things about that chapter God can use you and he will use you guess what we're he's the potter and we're just simply the clay that means he's going to mold you and and create you for a purpose and you will do that purpose because God said he will do it so that's the bulk of it, but there is a few more things in this chapter I want to kind of quickly get through before we kind of do some of our more application uh, and implications for us. So real quickly, I want to run through this, the rest of the chapter. It's an interesting rest of the chapter. So what happens here is Moses, he goes back and he runs to, to Jethro and tells Jethro he's got to go back to Egypt to take care of some things. And along the way, the Lord reminds Moses something he already had told him that Pharaoh's heart will be hardened. And then God mentions and, and kind of talks about the firstborn. And this is obviously an allusion to what we'll see in the next several weeks throughout this entire book. And then we come to this really obscure passage in verses 24 through 26. If you've read this before, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's a very obscure passage. We won't go into all the details. But what I can say is this, is it likely ties us back to this covenant of circumcision with Abraham back in Genesis 17. And Zipporah, who was Moses' wife, was a Midianite. She wasn't Jewish. She didn't follow the same rights as Moses would have when it comes to circumcision. So more than likely at this point, one or both of Moses' sons were not circumcised. But Moses is getting ready to go do the work of saving his circumcised family and people from the uncircumcised. So there's something happened there where, where God's anger was so ignited that it says that Moses was close to death. And then Zipporah circumcised the son or sons, was real mad and, she, and salty about it, and he, she took care of the circumcision, and Moses was ready for the work of God. It's very obscure passage, very interesting passage, and what we do see later on in chapter 18 is Zipporah and her sons were actually already back in Midian with Jethro. Many commentators say that he, they, at this point, after Zipporah was all mad about this circumcision business, took her sons and left, and that's when we see them later on. We don't know that for sure. And then from this point, Aaron arrives because God told him to go and to meet him where he was. So Aaron shows up. They talk through everything that's been going on. They go to the elders of Israel. They tell them what happened and the Israel elders believed. So that's what we see in those areas there, and that's how that chapter is kind of wrapped up. So all of this to say, what are, what are the implications for us? What do we need to do as we move on from this section? There's three things that come to mind as we close out this chapter and, and as we should be considering our call and our purpose for our lives. First thing is we need to stop making excuses. We need to stop making excuses. It's seemingly easier to find all the reasons why we can't or should not do something than to just simply be obedient. Oh, I can't cuz I got to I got to pay my car. I got to I got to pay the bills. I got to do this, I got to do that. It's really easy to do that. But again, as we just talked about, if God has called you to do something, it's, it's going to happen. It is so. God will make it happen. So there's nothing we can do to change his mind. We can't talk him out of it. It's, it is what it is, and we've got to kind of just accept that and move on. We do, in its simplest form. He's going to make that happen. He's going to make it happen and see it through. And that leads us to the next thing is that we need to trust God. We need to trust him. If he says it, we need to trust him. Are we are we trusting God enough to be obedient to his call? Are we trusting him enough to be obedient with what he asks us to do? Do we trust him to know that if he calls us to do something, he's going to equip us for that something? When you're compelled to share the gospel with somebody, do you trust God enough to know that he's going to give you the words that you need to speak? to at least plant the seeds in that individual's heart. Do you trust God enough to know that, or do we cower away and and feel like, oh, what if I say the wrong thing? We need to trust God that he's going to give us the words that we need to speak. And if you think about it, that's one of those callings that is for each and every one of us. The Great Commission says, go, therefore, make disciples that was a command for each and every one of us. So that's a job and that's a call that each and every one of us have on a minimum. God's going to equip you for that. That's what the, that's what his word says. Next thing we see here and the last thing here is that that we need to do what God has called you to do. We need to do what God has called you to do. It really boils down to this. So when 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 Moses finally went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said I'm going back to Egypt, and when Aaron came, and then when they met with the elders, those are the first steps that Moses took in being obedient to God's call. And that's what we see from that. That's the example we see is, is those were the first steps that Moses took. So my question to you is what's holding you back? Here's what I would argue. It's more than likely You. If something's holding you back, it's more than likely you, because God will equip you. You can't blame God. God's going to equip you. So now, that's, now is the time. Now is the time that we have and that we need and that we must surrender to his call for you. Now is that time to surrender for his call in your life. So my final question is, will you do that today? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, again, this is a special passage. I I appreciate the opportunity and the blessing it is to to have studied it a little bit more deep and have the opportunity to to share this message. I don't know what's going to happen when all these individuals leave this room or log off today, but I know, God, that you will equip us. If you have a desire for us to do your work, you're going to equip us to do so. And we know, Father, that you do desire for us to share while we're still here on earth waiting for your son Jesus' return. You want us to share him with others. So allow us to do that. Equip us to do that. God, if you're nudging somebody in this room right now to to do something miraculous and to do something that that they've been kind of considering or not sure about or or seesawing about father give them the confidence they need give them the confidence in you that is needed and if there's somebody in this room right now father that needs to to hear that i pray god that you just pierce their heart with that and that they understand that you will provide and you will equip Even if we don't see it or feel it or understand it, we have to have that belief and understanding, God. So we ask, God, that you do, that you give us that comfort, that joy, and that peace that we need to understand that you will do what you have called us to do because that's who you are. And we're so blessed to have that. So I pray, God, for these things. In your son Jesus' name, amen.